Good morning, everyone. Paul from the innovation community here. Today, I'm with Jan Teichmann, and having been working in a wide array of innovation, data, and insights roles, he now helps Trainline adopt their approach to data science. Great to have you with us, Jan. Yeah, thank you. Likewise. Uh, I gave you uh, a, an executive summary there. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm 33 years old. Um, I'm German from a city called Leipzig. Um, but I moved to London over eight years ago, um, previously living in Copenhagen. Um, I guess, yeah, I'm a data scientist and a big technology and innovation geek. I think that describes me best. Um, I, as you said, work as a consultant now, um, and I um, try to help companies to bring data science into like commercial production usage at scale um, with Sometimes success, not always success. I guess we get into more detail about that later. Um, I guess uh, as far as my breaking rights go, I mean, I hold a PhD in mathematics. Um, guess that makes me a smart cookie. <laughs> um, I co-founded a startup after my um, PhD with friends, um, which saw a successful exit. Um, and Enerchange is now um, the biggest um, utility comparison and switching service in Japan. Um, I, funny enough, feature in a documentary called Data Science Pioneers, um, but it's quite obvious that I'm not really cut out for a Hollywood career. <laughs> um, I was also um, recognized this year as like a data titan on um, Data IQ's list of the 100 most influential data and analytics um, practitioners. And yeah, so I think that's me. <laughs> and, and you mentioned that startup. Was that really where your career in data science started? Um, to be honest, no. Um, as like an early um, the data scientist, I think it's quite common that that my career started very much with an academic background. Um, so I, I mean, I, I really first discovered my preference for mathematics and statistics already during my undergraduate in biology and, and went um, very much into like a modeling direction. Um, and then later um, I kind of follow that up with like an interest in computing and computer science during a master's in bioinformatics um, in Copenhagen, heavily working on, on like um, genetics um, problems, um, applying computer science and algorithmics um, to solving these problems. Um, so it seemed like a logical step um, at that point then to combine these interests and basically apply computer science to solve uh, maths and statistics problems and um, then basically yeah I, I finished my academic career like um, many people um, and co-founded um, my startup with friends and basically developed data science solutions for the utility sector but it was really like already many years in academia where um, I basically applied data science to problems but um, not in a commercial setting. Um, that really has changed um, with, with that startup. And, and after that, I started to build greenfield teams at big PLCs and head up their kind of data science teams. That's fantastic. And, and how has that changed to, you know, from there to now? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
funny enough, you know, as I became more experienced and more senior in my roles, um, I very strangely did less and less data science and more and more PowerPoints. Um, and also being exposed to quite a lot of corporate politics. Um, and unfortunately for like most companies which aren't Google, Facebook and Amazon, data science is far from a success story. Um, you know, surveys by, by Gartner over the um, years found, for example, that like up to 80% of all data science projects fail to see any business adaptation. Um, and a big part of this problem is the difficulties of deploying data science into production um, and a lack of good engineering skills in the data science field. And obviously the corporate politics preventing a lot of transformational change like automated um, data driven decision processes. Um, so based, based on that, I, I mean, I think I was always motivated more by the technology rather than the scientific details. It's a reason I left academia um, and I really discovered real time applications as as like my new passion and is also the reason why I now became a consultant to help companies to get data science into production, but really with a focus on real-time applications of data and models. That's, that's really interesting. Uh, what are you up to in your current role? Um, so I, I'm a consultant at Trainline, um, doing exactly that, trying to um, help them with um, their production pipeline for data science models and data innovation projects. Um, I do build um, heavily real-time data products where I basically focus on both, right? The productionization of data science models on Trainline's Kafka data platform, as well as turning data science models into data products for them. So you've been in this space since leaving academia. What really interests you about working in the data space? Um, as I, as I kind of alluded, I, I really like the side, the technological side of data and really working with data means working at the cutting edge um, of technology. Um, when you, you know, look at the last 10 years of like technological evolution, right? Um, data was always at the forefront of driving it, um, whether it's like cloud um, computing, um, distributed, you know, big data frameworks. Um, now you run big spark clusters in the cloud as a data scientist, um, real-time data streaming and stream processing, um, NoSQL technology, all of that. and and today you basically have platform as a service which allows you like as a data scientist incredible productivity i mean i personally run workflows which used to require entire it departments so the real interest for me working with data is that you work at that cutting edge of technology so you've mentioned a couple there but what are some of the other successes you've achieved throughout your career um yeah so i mean the as i said like the the startup i co-founded with friends is now the biggest utility switching service in japan um that's that's a major success um and when i um was the head of data innovation at rank um for example i i delivered a cutting edge cloud platform for them to host their um data science models 
um, which the data science team has built um, for the company. And that platform was the first project at rank, which was delivered on time and on budget as far as anyone could remember. And um, crazy enough, that platform is still running two years later. So I think that's a really big success. <laughs> um, at, at Supla, um, I, I saw analysts join, for example, my um, team of data scientists and who have now really exciting data science careers, um, building amazing machine learning models, um, for example, for um, fraud detection and financial services. And as I said, me and uh, my team also featured in that data science documentary um, called Data Pioneers. So that was, that was a great success for the data science team at Supla. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I presented my, um, my data science pro um, production platform design um, at um, EGG last year. Um, and that must have been in front of a few hundreds of people. So that was also quite, quite remarkable. And when I think about it, you know, my, my blog on Medium reaches over 15,000 readers every month. So that's, that's, I think these are all quite impressive lists of, of uh, major successes. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned a couple of organizational transformations there. What role do you think that, that ethics has to play in when, when companies are trying to expand their data science program and their, their, their general usage of data, let's say? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, so the reality is we live in a really heavily biased world. Um, and, you know, ethics, data privacy, and fairness are increasingly on the list of priorities um, of companies and also society to address it. But um, the main challenge is that historic bias means that achieving things like algorithmic fairness is much harder than a lot of people think. Um, every data point which is directly or indirectly derived from human behavior is biased. Um, and depending on the definition and authors you, um, you reference, there are between 17 and 104, I think, documented cognitive biases. So it's a, it's a really big problem. I think when I look at the role of data science um, in that, fixing the bias in the world is obviously beyond the job spe specification of a data scientist. Um, but not to reinforce existing biases automated with machine learning models is a mathematical problem and it moves very quickly from like a moral obligation to a real job requirement of a modern data scientist and i mean yeah fairness and mitigating bias is a really complex topic and i'm certainly not an expert on it but you know in the biased world we live in um we um we have the challenge in data science that mitigating that bias impacts model accuracy and that we look at this accuracy versus fairness trade-off dilemma. And it is therefore that it is a, it's an interesting problem and conversation to have um, within the data science community, but also with the kind of senior leadership of companies. Mm. And, and what role will technology have to, to play in this? Um, in, in mitigating um, yeah. bias. Because it's something that's been, 
being spoken about quite a lot right now is, yeah. is, is how that can actually, you know, help with, uh, with like recruiting and, and actually getting away from that, that strictly human approach for lack of a better term. So um, I don't think that there are silver bullets and that, I mean, that even academia has really figured out a way to like approach this at a generalized um, angle. And as I said, I'm really not an expert on this. Um, I just realize more and more how important it is and, and how, I mean, maybe it is naive to, to assume that technology alone will solve that problem, right? Um, in the end, it is down to data scientists and, and corporate leaders to really um, educate themselves on the problem and and start to work on solutions. And it is really still early days. A lot of the kind of experts on that field and the material you find is very academic um, because when you look at like um, regulation, for example, I mean, there is regulation on data privacy, but there isn't really much of a legal framework or, or guidance on through um, regulation on, on this kind of problem of algorithmic fairness and, and de-biasing. I mean, there are industries which are strict uh, regulated like um, um, financial services and insurance. Um, I, I haven't worked much with these um, um, in these industries. So maybe they are like ahead of the game there um, and they should really like share more of their, of their learnings because yeah, it is, it is important that the field of like data science, but also companies start to get on top of that. So we avoid, um, I mean, not just very public, obvious scandals, you know, like Cambridge Analytica, but um, for example, when was that? I think it was 2018 when Amazon tried to rec um, release an AI for recruitment. And basically, machine learning has this terrible problem with bias. So they trained their AI on CVs of engineering applicants and benchmarked it against like current engineering employees at, at Amazon. And basically when you bring it down to it, you know, this AI learned that candidates who um, are white and male are more likely to be good candidates for engineering jobs, right? That's terrible. So, I mean, they they killed off this um, AI and obviously it was never um, used after they found that. But, you know, it's like, it's, this is just shows that technology alone is not going to be the solution to that problem. <laughs> if Amazon doesn't get it right, right, then, then this is a really tough problem to solve. Yeah, yeah, that's a, a really good point that technology can help, but it's not the, the silver bullet. I like the phrase that you used as well. Um, what was the, the, just going back to your, uh, your career, what do you think was the biggest impact that you made on a transformation? Um, uh, 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 let me think about that for a second. I mean, I think, to be honest, when I look at it, um, you know, at, at Rank and Supla, I've built greenfield data science teams and every single project we worked on was therefore like transformational um, by definition. There, was, there wasn't data science before that and improving a business process or a customer experience with a data-driven predictive solution is really transformational um, for, for these companies. Um, 
But while I say that, you know, naturally in that situation, you start with low hanging fruit <laughs> and many early applications in like greenfield data science teams um, might just be forms of automation. Um, you know, while these projects aren't really the most um, sexy application of data science, shall we say, you know, they have huge impact. And, um, you know, when you look at automating a process, that means, for example, less human errors, um, better quality and more comparable results. Um, but really importantly, you rarely automate the people out of their jobs, right? These people simply have more time to add now new incremental value to the business. Um, so automation is actually probably the most impactful transformation there is. And you also mentioned that you work quite a lot with building these teams. How would you describe your leadership style when working with them? Um, I mean, like in terms of a leadership style, I, I don't really see myself as a leader <laughs> or had a specific ambition to lead people. Um, I mean, how could I possibly lead, right? To, um, to quote Isaac Newton, what I know is a drop, what I don't know is an ocean. And um, yeah, but I think however, how I see it, you know, it's like data science and technology is not just a job for me. You know, they are my passion, it's my hobby. And, and all I ever did and still do is to share that passion with people. And um, I like to share my experience and learn from others, you know, by connecting through the tech and data science community. And apparently that qualifies as a form of leadership. <laughs> I think so. I think I'd rather follow someone who's passionate than someone who doesn't want to be there. <laughs> um, what do you think the biggest mistake you made during your career was? Oh, okay. Um... I think any success, right, is built on a long series of mistakes and failures. Um, the secret is to try again. Um, so that's the same for me. I, I, I have a long series of, of mistakes and failures to look back on. And um, I guess in the beginning of my commercial career, I made the general mistake to trust models are accurate and reliable in their predictions <laughs> rather than to like mitigate the risk of a wrong prediction. Um, I mean, data science predictions are never 100% accurate. Um, so that you can imagine resulted in some costly mistakes. <laughs> when I, for example, developed trading algorithms um, during, during my startup days. Um, Later in my career, I made the mistake to maybe highlight the flaws of data and the uncertainty of predictive models too much, um, which, for example, stopped the business adaptation of some really great machine learning models and made stakeholders doubt my ability as a data scientist. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's a constant learning curve. <laughs> Absolutely. And... You know, a company like, um, you know, Trainline, Zoopla, these are all very digitally agile companies, I would say. Yeah. How has COVID-19 really affected your role and, and, you know, your ability to execute on a day-to-day? -day? Um, I mean, as a data scientist and the impact of COVID-19, I, I wonder one thing, um, and that's what happens, you know, to the predictability of all our historic data. Um, 
a lot of that big data is behavioral data, right? Clickstream data, et cetera. Um, fact is consumer behavior has completely changed. And there are reasons to believe that this change is much more permanent than, than some people might hope. So is, is all our historic behavioral data now worthless? <laughs> Can we just all delete it? <laughs> I mean, it certainly saves on, on storage cost. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting situation to be in. And I, I do wonder about this, um, how COVID-19 has affected my personal role. Um, not very much, to be honest, because I, I do work now on longer term innovation projects, which have a much more heavy engineering focus than necessarily the kind of data science focus. And as you know, in, techno in technology and engineering, people work mainly in the cloud and collaborate digitally. So nothing really has changed. Um, and yeah, but at the same time, I do have friends in the field who are very much affected by a sharp drop of revenues because let's face it, data science is not cheap. <laughs> and, you know, at the same time, you also see sharp drops of traffic to their websites, which means it's very hard, for example, to run a meaningful A-B test. Um, um, while that traffic volumes are so low. So there, there have been obviously impacts. Mm. And I think not only is the, the historical data, but actually at making sensible predictions on, you know, how, how much is it, how permanent is it, or how much is going to affect the future is also tricky as well. Um, you know, just last few questions now. What's the best piece of advice you ever received? Uh, I guess uh, don't overthink it. <laughs> um, I think this is like, this is like an interesting dilemma when I came out of academia that looking at a problem with an academic mindset um, basically makes you very much focus on technical um, um, metrics of accuracy, for example. Um, but when you are in a commercial setting, you know, the, the proof of value is much more important than the proof of concept. And um, it's basically yeah you that's that's like why i'm also now trying to help data science teams to turn their models into data products because it's it's something which doesn't come necessarily naturally to a data scientist um to accept that actually uh, a model just needs to be slightly better than chance to have a commercial impact you know so sometimes it's important not to overthink it and understand that um you've you build a commercial um, product and you should focus on the proof of value um, to a business um, rather than technical um, um, metrics of accuracy, for example, and try to fine tune them and overthink how you can make your model better when actually it is good enough. <laughs> What's your top working from home tip? Oh my God. Um, I mean, very good question. I don't really think I'm, I'm like, I'm the one who should, should give these tips because when I look at, I mean, you know, I had like a routine and all of that. And with 
um, with the lockdown and working from home, all of that went out of the window. And interestingly, it's not because of the working from home. I mean, I'm quite experienced with working from home. It's probably the totality of the current situation and all the restrictions. But um, I am trying with a lot of willpower to establish a routine again and, you know, um, try to wake up earlier again to maybe start my day with a little bit of, um, with a form of exercise, you know, um, try to properly get dressed from the waist down. <laughs> um, but other things are like, uh, try to collaborate again more digitally with colleagues who are not so used to, you know, digital co collaboration. Um, um, try, try to not work till 9 p.m. every day mm. and try to get a life back. You know, all of these are really good um, um, general advice for working from home. Establish a healthy routine which has a balance of, you know, work and life. And yeah, that's, that's my advice. Not that I'm really good in leading by example there. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you if you want to keep working on on daily, you could always pick up some Python projects, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that could be like your free time. That's a, that's a good way to do it. Um, what are you curious about right now? Um, I think I I mean I am quite curious about that topic of algorithmic fairness. Uh, as I said, I'm far from an expert expert there, but I think it will be the next GDPR um, just by the long series of very public um, um, failures when it comes to um, working with data and um, do it ethically and fair. And I think we have to come to terms with the impact, you know, blindly extrapolating bias in the data has on people's lives. So I, I'm quite curious about how this will evolve, how it will shape the way of um, working of a data scientist, um, the setup of, of data science, commercial data science teams, etc. Who is currently your favorite thought leader or author in or out of data? Yeah, I... I uh... I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that just shows that I'm terrible in giving credit. <laughs> um, but, you know, in my, in my early days as a data scientist in particular, you know, Alan Friedman and Ted Dunning really inspired and shaped my thinking. And it's, it's because they're not just um, really amazing data scientists. They also share that passion for technology and um, with me and are amazing engineers and solution architects. Um, so I think what we need to recognize is that, yeah, we do stand on the shoulders of giants in data science. And I guess, yeah, Alan and Ted are certainly deserving that title. <laughs> and what advice would you give for aspiring data scientists? Um, huh. I mean, the, the role of data science is changing. Um, there, there's, I mean, there's a constant innovation in that field, right? So it is, it is, and it's very different now to become an um, become a data scientist than when I started on that career. So um, I mean, just looking back, you know, at 
at the last few years. In the early days, the role was for unicorns, right? I mean, every one of us is familiar with that Venn diagram of data science being that intersection of computer science, mathematics and statistics and domain and business expertise. And, and that's also why a lot of the early data scientists came from an academic background because they might lack business expertise, but at, le at least, you know, they brought the background in computer science, mathematics and statistics. Um, I guess as a consequence, early data science was heavily R&D focused and, you know, we were focusing on technical metrics of accuracy um, over the business impact and ROI. Um, and then obviously, you know, as I talked before, you know, you had the problem that there wasn't really business adaptation or business impact. Um, today, this has changed a lot. Um, Rather than looking for unicorns with all these skills, companies um, actually see data science much more part of a cross-functional team where these skills are combined via good collaboration of data science, engineering, and product teams. Um, you know, and at the same time, um, the open source community has produced an endless number of high quality frameworks and tooling. So building a machine learning model doesn't require an academic background in mathematics and statistics any longer. Um, you know, what I personally observe is that actually the role of the data scientist is increasingly owned by advanced analytics. Um, with data scientists itself moving more into that intersection of computer science and statistics with the rise of the machine learning engineer. And it really just shows that the focus today of on engineering is just a realization that you know the production rollout of models is really the hardest problem in data science. So to sum that up, you really, as an aspiring data scientist, either look at the kind of advanced analytics realm, um, or you really should start to look more on the kind of engineering challenges with like production deployment of models, etc. I don't think that everyone needs to become an engineer, but it certainly has a growing importance in a successful data science career. So bro broaden your horizons, wise words there from Jan Teichman. Thanks so much for joining us. No, likewise, was my pleasure.